name is Kugat Graukonok. I am an Urso, and a warrior. I fought in the rebellions against the humans and the Draelish, the first claw of Chief Orad himself. I failed him, and brought dishonor to my people. Now, I am an outcast, denied the great sleep. I have been awake for longer than most have been alive. I am ever awake. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exesar, Episode 11 The Sleep Dead. succumbs to madness 
that is a fate for Lesser Urso. For cubs and honey chasers, not for a claw. And I swear, by what little of my tattered pride remains, I will earn my sleep. It begins today, at the mouth of this forsaken cave on top of the world. Today is the day I sell my soul. feel the kiss of heat inside as I enter the cave. A fire burns deep within. Light slashes across the vaulted obsidian walls, which funnel sharply down into a narrow tunnel. I marvel at such craftsmanship. How did a single human manage to cut through so much stone and so precisely? Then, my eyes fall on the blackened oak archway framing the tunnel's entrance. The wood is long dead, but a sigil of ever-burning embers blazes at the center, just above my head. Of course, I think. My mind is so slow these days, and so numb. No mortal hands touch this stone. I press through the tunnel. My large frame can barely fit. The fur on my arms and shoulders brush against the cool stone, and I have to bend my head to clear the passageway. I have always wondered at the smallness of the other races of Hexcaesar. Humans, Draelish, Kikte, Wula. All of them dwarfed by an Urso like myself. They do not deserve to share this land. They lack the keen ears and snout of us bears, our muscle, our fortitude. Even their courage is small. I learned that much during the rebellions. The Battle of Crownwood. Twelve human prisoners we took, all complaining of stomach aches. We were foolish enough to believe them. It was dark. We didn't see the black gunpowder trailing from their lips. The single match each of them hid in their hair. I remember the look on one of their faces. The black-toothed grin he had as he swallowed the lit match, smug eyes boring into mine as I screamed for my men to run. The heat grows as the tunnel brightens. My fur is already soaked with sweat. The tunnel curves around a bend, and as I pass it, I am suddenly greeted by a full suit of black plate armor, standing motionless in the way of the tunnel's exit. There are no eyes peering through the helm, no breath or twitch of muscle. The armor looks human, though it is nearly large enough for an Ursa. I inspect the armor, puzzled. Is it a statue? If so, why would one leave it positioned in the middle of... A voice calls out. It's alright, Corin. Let the child in. Nimble as a flick of fire, the armor springs to life and steps back, standing at attention near the side of the tunnel's opening. I step out of the tunnel into a long, rectangular hall. The walls 
walls and high ceiling are made from the same polished obsidian as the rest of the cave. The fire blazes from a massive hearth at the far end of the hall. Directly in front of the fire is a squared black and gold altar speckled with rubies. Atop this altar is a silken maroon pillow with a gemstone the size of a small boulder resting on it. It is clear as glass, swirling with wisps of faint white smoke. Kneeling in front of this altar, as though in prayer, is the man who spoke to the suit of armor. He is hooded and robed in black, with a silver emblem of what looks like a talon stitched messily into the back. He doesn't move, nor do I. No one makes a sound, save for the low, proud crackles of the fire. I feel fear welling in my stomach as I watch the black-robed figure. Is this the man I seek? The one whispered to me by strangers at backwater taverns in the dead of night. The one whose likeness is crudely scratched into stones in the druid groves of the dark life. Against sense, I break the silence. My name is Kugat Gra Konak. I have traveled across Exesar to request an audience with the one they call Ananias. Still nothing. Bent before the altar, the black-robed man looks like an obsidian stone drinking in the firelight. The small folk in the region talk of this man's gifts, I continue. They say he consorts with the frights through the shade. They say he can shape the material world as he wishes. I reach into a satchel around my waist, retrieving a hefty sack of coins. But most importantly, they say he will share these powers with others, should they have the means. I toss the sack onto the hard-packed dirt floor. It bursts open, scattering coins everywhere. Fat golden gleams, oblong shimmers, a glisten or two. Everything I have earned, found, or taken in the last two years that I haven't had to spend on food or boarding. Their crash sends shrill echoes throughout the hallway, piercing the reverent quiet, sullying it. Brazen, I know. But I remembered what little I learned about the sorcerer from my journeys. If this man truly is Ananias, he will only respond to the bold. Now, if only I can pass off my desperation for boldness. As soon as the echo of the clattering coins fades, the black-robed figure begins to rise. The hem of his robe slink like a grand, dark snake to the floor. Glacially, he turns, each small step lasting a dynasty unto itself. His posture appears warped by age, shaking with frailty. I did wonder why he called me child earlier. Not many humans can outlive in her so. Still, his outer weakness only makes me more tense. Power unseen is deadliest, after all. Finally, he faces me. 
I see a shadow underneath a hood, features hidden from sight by distance and darkness. Only the creeping coldness grasping my heart tells me he is making eye contact. A moment passes, then he speaks. Your means have no meaning here, Urso. But I am not blind to your gesture. Be welcome. I am Ananias. His voice is high, lilting, too energetic to match his feeble frame. Carefully, quietly, he steps toward me. Perhaps it's just my tired mind failing, but I could swear the crackling of the fire is becoming fainter as though we are suddenly far away from the hearth. Such wonders of the world, you Urso. Ananias says in an oddly reverent voice. The bear folk of Exesa, mind and hands like my own, yet with the power of a beast. I remember when I first heard about your kind. Some religious text, the trials of Sister Alm, as I recall. How did it go? She got mauled to death by bears, only to rise again from a pool of clay. Then, to punish the bears, she made them dip all their paws into the clay, and when they were removed, they had become hands and feet. Cursed to walk between two worlds. Cursed with ugly sentience. Cursed with the sleep debt. Suddenly, the sorcerer trips. I watch his small body crash to the ground. I step forward, unsure of whether I should approach him. I turn to Corin for help. I've seen them, you know. I whirl around, snarling. Ananias is right behind me, smiling under the tunnel's archway. His skin is stretched so thin it seems to crawl away from his face. Dark blue veins trace underneath like lightning bolts. Three fat, blotchy scars cut diagonally across his forehead. A chipped glass eye rolls loosely in his left socket. Infection of some kind has turned his other eye a sickly green around the edges, and its steel-gray iris never once wavers from its gaze on me. I chance a look back at where I saw him fall and see nothing. I look back at him. His smile is oppressive, his gaze unrelenting. You don't have many left, but I've seen them. Your memories... The ones you couldn't bring yourself to gamble away in sunscape. His words are like a vice around my lungs. How? I manage, but cannot find more words to challenge him. Secrets are an illusion to me, my friend. I felt you cling to your memories as you climbed my mountain. They sustained you. Through the frostbite, and the hunger, and your own budding madness. I saw the little cub in the mountain village of Orak, 
screaming for sleep in his family's cave. It took you longer than most, didn't it, to accept that you would never sleep. Not until you proved your worth to your people, to the dream givers. His gaze tells true. He has seen me. My life. My journey. I cannot but stare at him, unsure of whether to be awestruck or terrified. Should I be so shocked? I expected strangeness, dark powers, the unexplainable. But carving through a cave is one thing. This man has carved through my patchwork mind, taking what he will, leaving hollowness. I take in a shaking breath. No point in projecting calmness, yet I try anyway. A claw is nothing without his pride, after all. So you can read minds, I say, businesslike. Then what I seek must be obvious. In a sense, though nuance can sometimes be evasive, the whys behind the whos and whats. You came all this way, risked so much to find me, the crying little cub who can't sleep. But you're not here to ask me for sleep, are you? This question tempts me in spite of myself. The thought has crossed my mind more than once, but now that I am here, could it be so simple? The thought of it is tantalizing, like a starving man thinking of an exquisite banquet. With a touch, a word from this man, I could be relieved. I imagine my heavy eyelids closing, my wrung-out body breathing deep, my frayed and flailed mind releasing into that absurd theater of dreams. A quivering ache erupts across my skull as the longing sets upon me like it has so many times past. Like a mongoose from a snake, I shake free of the thought. No, I say. I am a claw of Chief Aura. My people fight for their lives against the southerners' oppression. Human slavers from Roth, Draylish marauders from Sullust. Things have only gotten worse since the rebellions. Good, strong Ursa died from my failings. I seek my sleep, yes. But not before every single soldier from my regiment has been avenged. Not before the honor of my people is secure. Not before those hairless southern cowards learn there is no playing dead when you fight the bears of Orok. It isn't until the last word rattles through the air that I realize I'm shouting. I pant, release my curled fists. Ananias stares at me. The echoes of my rage fade into a tinny haze before being swallowed up by the crackling fire. Well, that answers that. Suddenly, Ananias claps his hands. Corin springs into motion. 
stomping briskly past the pair of us towards the altar near the hearth. I watch him a moment. He appears to be making for the gemstone atop the pillow. Your war bores me, Urso. Whosoever remains after the bloody chaff has settled makes no difference to me. But a scarred soldier, his honor and his mind on the line, willing to scorn tradition and faith and the natural order for his precious pride, that I can find some use for. He leans in close, an evil grin crawling onto his gaunt face. And at least I know I won't catch you sleeping on the job. <laughs> I step back, startled. His laugh is biting, robust, void of sympathy. My fur bristles at such disrespect. I want to strike him, but still myself. Easy, Kuga, I tell myself. You wanted madness. Here it is. Corin returns to us by the time Ananias's laughter dies. The gemstone rests in his hands atop the silken pillow. Ananias takes the gemstone off the pillow and holds it in front of me. The faint swirls of ghostly light instantly start to swim faster, more frenetically at his touch, almost as though they are afraid. Your hand he says without flavor. His head nods towards the gemstone. I hesitate. A flicker of the old faith tugs at my heart. Dozens of parables flock to mind of forsaken souls who crossed a line and never returned. A taste of forbidden fruit, a drop of blood staining stone. It always begins with a touch. I will my arm to rise and rest my hand on the gemstone. It is cool and smooth. Perhaps it is nerves, but I feel a tingle emanating from the stone, an electricity. I watch the ghostly swirls inside the stone. They've stopped moving. Beyond that, though, nothing of note changes. I look at Ananias again. His eyes are closed, his expression blank. Tell me, Kuga Gra Konak, what do Urso do with a cub that can't accept the Everwake? I am puzzled by the question. What does this have to do with anything, I think? I have already told him I do not seek sleep. I wait, but he says nothing more. Do they... Teased, at first, I start. Most said I would grow out of it. That I would find work or meditation to lose myself in, like everyone else. When I didn't, they ridiculed me, called me lazy. Some began to shun my parents. Then, then came the screams at night. At this my words began to tumble out, as though trying to outrun the pain. I screamed for hours, pounding my head against the walls, trying to shut myself out of the waking world. They became pariahs, my family. 
Vandals would throw beehives through our windows. The Toporak himself disowned me. That last one catches me in the throat. He... He'd never done that to anyone before. Your parents. Ananias whispers, almost distractedly. How did they react to their son screaming at night? sympathetic at first. That didn't last long. Next, they tried reason, then commands. Stop flicking your own snout, son of Grah, my father said. No dreams will ever find you like this. But nothing worked. You're not screaming now. Something must have. I feel my stomach turn, as sweat gathers beneath my fur. My heartbeat is arrhythmic, my mind fixed. My mother Grah, she would tell me stories. Terrible, haunting stories. Stories that made me quieter than a shadow on a tombstone. She told me of the dirt people who held the earth up for us to walk upon. She told me if I screamed, they would drop the earth beneath me and I would fall into their pit where they would tear me to pieces. She told me of anti white bark, a hungry hag who hid in trees, searching for the perfect scream to rip from someone's throat. She told me of the frights, beings of pure darkness who feed on mortal souls, seizing people's will and I stop. Ananias is looking at me now, a blankness on his face, but in his eyes, intention. A shock sears deep into my hand atop the gemstone. I cry out, wrench my hand away, stumbling backwards. I look at my palm. It is the same ghostly white as the wisps within the gemstone. As is my arm, as are my legs. My body is a dream of itself, a void of substance or inner feeling. The air around me feels heavy and taut, like I am moving through spider webs. A sickening sulfur musk assaults my nose. I feel no heat, but I am not cold either. The walls and floor of the cave are transparent, immaterial. Like with a thought, I could slide down through the mountain itself to the world's core. I look up. I am staring at my own body from behind. It hasn't moved. My corporeal hand is still resting on the gemstone. Ananias still stares at my frozen frame, unmoving. And Corin. Corin is a black haze. So dark it hurts the eye, floating beside him. Suddenly, the black haze breaks the tableau and moves away, edging past my physical form, towards me. Ananias, I try to say, but no sound comes out. Everything is silence, including the black haze as it continues closer.
its approach slow but unyielding. Then, I hear it. A hungry, waif-like voice echoing throughout the cave. Yes, 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 yes. It is an old voice, yearning, oppressive, just like Mother described. Yes, 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 yes. Terror grips my mind like cold iron. Unable to look away from the black haze, I step backward. The floor beneath me gives with an earthy crash. I feel my leg drop suddenly. I look down and see a pothole filled with tiny, reddish-brown creatures. Their heads are sharp triangles with spikes on each point. Their eyes are black. They are chitinous, like fire ants, but they look like men. I recognize them immediately. No. Yes, 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 yes. I watch, horrified, as the dirt men swarm my leg. I lurch my leg up out of the pothole. But the ground beneath my other leg gives too, and I fall completely. I crush the spectral earth beneath me with my body's weight. I feel pain writhe across my back as non-existent air is knocked from my lungs. Yes, 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 yes! Like piranhas, the dirt men engulf me in seconds, pouring out from beneath the earth like blood from a gaping wound. I kick and flail as they bite, rend, and split my flesh with millions of teeth and tiny fangs. A voiceless scream explodes from my lips. Yes. A bone-white hand slams down on my throat from above. Auntie Whitebark smiles down at me. The wrinkles of her haggard face pulled back like curtains to reveal a wretched set of rotting fangs. I try to fight her, but she is impossibly strong. She straddles me, pins me down, laughing hoarsely while a clay-colored sea of dirt men flay me alive. And above them all, I see the black haze of Corin descending upon us, expanding, swallowing all other things in my sight. And then, in a breath, it all vanishes. Auntie, the dirt men, the pain. The cave itself is gone, consumed by darkness. All that remains in sight is Ananias, and my real self, touching the gemstone, which now glows with near-holy brightness. My whole body quakes. I suddenly realize I am weeping. All I want to do is collapse, hide, sleep. Then, Ananias speaks. This is your charge, Urso. His voice comes not from his mouth, but from everywhere around me. Go forth into the world. Seed terror into your enemy's dreams. Wrench control from their sleeping bodies. 
Make them serve you. You will go west to Jin's Valley in Sullust. A plant grows there, demon's teeth. Take as much as you can and bring it here. I will give you further instructions then. I fumble for words as fear gives way to rage. You, you show me terrors. And you dare to give me orders. What kind of monster are you? You mentioned three stories, did you not? My anger ices over as his words settle in. Only now, after the bargain, can I see the merchant. Only after paying the price can I see what I have bought. And now that I have it, I would give anything to have him take it back. Numbly, I approach my physical body, the one staring into the eyes of a childhood nightmare. Like a well-worn shoe, I step into myself and place my ghostly hand upon the dazzling light of the gemstone. Another jolt of pain lances my hand. I recoil. The next thing I know is the sound of a crash. I look down at the shattered pieces of gemstone across the hard cave floor. The world is real again. It is cold and dark around me. The hearth fire has long gone out. I search around. The fright, Ananias, is gone, as is Corin. Yet despite the sudden emptiness, I can't help but feel a presence. Like the feeling that someone is standing just behind you, just out of sight. A shadow of a shadow. And deep in my heart, I have the grave feeling that I will never again be alone. I do the only thing I can think of. I leave. I tell my still shaking legs to carry me back through the hallway out of the cave. I don't know where I will go next. I don't know how to use this so-called power. I don't even know if what I saw was real, or just the desperate theater of a sleep-starved mind. But there are things I do know. They are the same things I have always known. I am Kuga Grakonak. I am a claw of Chief Aura. I will earn my sleep. I step out of the cave, into the bitter mountain storm. I descend, my mind fixed on the path to Solust, to Jin's Valley, to the Demon's Teeth. And I try to pretend I don't hear the faintest laughter sailing on the edges of the wind. of Caesar is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand. 
for questions or comments, email us at echoesofxcaesar at gmail.com.